with me to the Gospel of John. We're going to be reading in the 16th chapter, starting in verse 5. Turn your Bibles. How many have uh, the paper back Bible with you today? All right, come on. God bless you guys. How many are sporting iPads? Uh, iPhones, all right. Woo-hoo. How many are sporting um, galaxies, miniature iPads, small flat screen televisions? How many? <laughs> Let's open with a word of prayer if we shall. God, we thank you for the word of God. Lord, we ask God that you'd speak to us today through the word of God. Father, I'm merely just a man, weak and frail, sinful, God. But I ask, Lord, today that you would touch me, God, to communicate your precious word with clarity and unction and conviction. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. John chapter 16, we're going to pick up reading in the fifth verse. If you bear with me, we're going to read a couple verses here. And the letters of red. Sorry, I'm going to take that out. Hopefully that wasn't too disgusting, but many of you are turning the pages of your Bible, so you didn't witness what just happened. That's good. In verse 5, Jesus says, But now I am going away to be with the one who sent me. And not one of you are asking where I'm going. Instead, you grieve because of what I've told you. But in fact, it is best for you that I go away. Because if I don't, the advocate won't come. If I do go away then I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. Verse 9, the world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. Righteousness is available because I go to be with the Father and you will see me no more. Verse 11, judgment will come upon the world because the ruler of this world has already been judged. There is so much more I want to tell you, but you can't bear it now. When the spirit of truth, someone say the spirit of truth. Say it a little louder, the spirit of truth. Come on, somebody. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will speak not on his own behalf, but he will give you or he will speak to you what I tell him to speak to you. He will speak to you about the future. He will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. All that belongs to the Father is mine. This is why I said the Spirit will tell you whatever he receives from me. Now if you would allow me, I'd like to kind of look at these verses kind of and unpack them line upon line, precept upon precept as we get into the word today. Um, Hopefully I'll be able to do it in an entertaining way so I keep your attention. Or an anointed way, so God does the work He needs to in our hearts. In verse 5, Jesus makes a statement. He tells His friends, He says, listen friends, I'm going away. I'm going to go back to the one who sent me. Who's the one who sent Christ according to Christ? God the Father. Have you ever had a loved one that's dear to you? Maybe a best friend, maybe a girlfriend, maybe a, a, a peer that has has all of a sudden, out of the blue, said, I'm going away. My parents are maybe uprooting and going, you know, to California or going to some third world country, whatever. But I had this girl one time that I was deeply in love with, I thought anyway at the time, 16, you know, that can be very misleading. Love can be very misleading at the age of 16, wouldn't recommend it. But anyways, I had this girl of which I was very fond of 
in middle school. Don't tell my wife. Um, but I was very fond of her, and we were only in a relationship for about two weeks when all of a sudden she had told me that her dad was uprooting the family and moving to Florida. I was like, you've got to be kidding. And if anybody knows me at that age, even now, I was an extreme, I was extremely wimpy. I was a mama's boy a bit. Uh, I cried like a little girl, like a little schoolgirl. I was, I was wrecked because I felt like, why, my beloved? I, I really thought at the age of 16, maybe there was a hope for marriage. And thank God I, I didn't go that route. And she did move, <laughs> praise God, because I definitely married up. Don't know about Bethany if she married up, but I certainly did. <laughs> Anyways, but if you ever had a loved one, just up all of a sudden say, hey, I got to go away. I'm leaving. My parents are uprooting or maybe there's a job opportunity. Anyways, the effect that it had on the disciples, Jesus' friends, was extremely, uh, um, it saddened them about the news. And we'll go on and we'll learn further about just the effect it had on them. Verse 7, Jesus comforts his friends and tells them that it's good that he goes away. Now, I don't know about you, but any one of my friends who have left, you know, we've been ministering in this city now for a good couple of years, and, and unfortunately, we get at, le- at the most a four- to six-year stint with most people that we, uh, that we uh, come in and out of our doors. We have like a four- to six-year relational plan, and we, we lose a lot of good people, and man, it is hard on the heart. It is hard on the heart. Um, and the last thing you want to hear when somebody that you love is going away is uh, them trying to comfort you. <laughs> There's nothing that can, there was nothing that that young lady could have done at the age 16, the tender, fragile age of 16, to comfort me. I was sad and I was troubled because she was all of a sudden going and I listened to sad music, depressing sad music. It was terrible. My parents were absolutely terrified. I probably had like three girls um, that I broke up with and, you know, this girl left and such. And, but man, the, the emotional impact of them like breaking up with me or in this case leaving me was tremendous. It was, it was demonic and I had a bad response to it. But the last thing I'm sure that these guys want to hear is Jesus' uh, uh, statements or him trying to comfort their immediate feelings. Um. And the way that Jesus tries to bring comfort is saying, guys, I'm not going to leave you alone. You're not going to be left alone. I'm going to send you somebody, the advocate. We should know um, that that's the Holy Spirit. Listen, the Holy Spirit is kind of an important figure in the Bible. He's the third person of the Trinity. He runs deep. He rolls deep with God the Father and Jesus the Son. And uh, we here at Hilltop love the Holy Spirit. And what the disciples don't know is in Acts chapter 2, in that upper room, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon them with great power. They don't know that yet. But the advocate is going to come. He's going to pour himself out on them. And then, in a very short time, the church is going to be birthed. It's going to be born. In a very a moment's notice, the church gets turned over to 3,000 members, just like that. Imagine if we had that kind of Holy Spirit activity in the church today. We need it. Believe God wants it, but we need a people who are looking for it. Anyways, the Holy Spirit comes upon them in Acts chapter 2, and from that time, uh, the church is birthed. It's born. And in verse 8, Jesus lays out the primary role, the function, the job description, whatever you want to call it, of the Holy Spirit. And this is what he says His job is to convict the world of sin 
and God's righteousness in the coming judgment. And luckily for us, Jesus gives us a little further explanation of what he means in 9, 10, and 11. Can we read just in case you've missed it? In 9 of the Gospel of John chapter 16, Jesus lays out the roles, the job descriptions, the, the work of the Holy Spirit. And this is what he says in verse 9. The right, I'm sorry. Yes, in verse 9. The righteous in the coming judgment. The world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. Now, that's very common today here in even the States and abroad where people believe essentially that Jesus was a good teacher. He was a prophet. He moved in very supernatural way. He did things that were not human, that humans couldn't do in their own capability through healing the sick, raising the dead, and such. People will agree the fact that Jesus, it's hard to get around the facts of Jesus being a real man who walked the earth. And they'll even go as far to believe that Jesus was a good man who had good teachings, uh, who moved in a supernatural way to do supernatural things. A prophet even, a man who foretold the future. But they have a hard time in really accepting the divinity of Christ. Who He is? Who is Christ? The Son of God. And today we see that just about two months ago maybe, as we do every Friday, once a month, go into the Harvard Square area and minister the love of Christ uh, to the Harvard Square people, whatever you want to call it. Uh, we go there, bring music, balloons for the kids. We did face painting last time with uh, this awesome little... A slushy machine that grinds up ice, and we're just jacking them up at 8 o'clock at night. Kids running around, whoa, whoa. I mean, that stuff, you just smell it. You get high. You're like, whoa, man. It's like a quick buzz. It's, seriously, it's some kind of target. Um, really, I wouldn't recommend it uh, to any of you. I mean, my wife wouldn't let Abram drink it. But we were giving it to the kids, no matter, nonetheless, down there in Harvard Square. And about two months ago, I had a good conversation with a Muslim man. And you know, it was, it was a great conversation in the way that we agreed as we talked about our religions, as we talked about our faith. We agreed on many things like uh, how to be devoted to God, um, how to love your wife, how to be kind and love your neighbor. But the one thing we couldn't agree upon was the divinity of Christ. No, he agreed that Christ existed, that Christ walked the earth, that Christ was a good teacher. He's a prophet. He worked and did many miracles. But when it came to the Son of God card, it was like, no, 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 no. Let's not get carried away now, man. We couldn't connect on that fact. So one of the jobs of the Holy Spirit is this. Say it to yourself to convict the world. Go ahead. Convict the world. Come on. I know some of you don't like that word convict. Get over it. It's okay. It's a good thing. God, the Holy Spirit's job is to convict the world of its sin. And its sin is that it refuses the divinity of Christ. Is that understandable? It's one of the jobs of the Holy Spirit. Now, it would be foolish for me to say that uh, these are the totality of the work of the Holy Spirit in our day, but there's certainly to Jesus in the Gospel of John chapter 16, three things that he points out. Now, number two, when it, Jesus talks about the work and the ministry of the Holy Spirit, he says... Uh, in verse 10, let's read again here. Righteousness is available. Just say that in your head right now. Say, righteousness is available. God, no, say it again. Righteousness is available. One more time. Righteousness is available. Come on, somebody. That's good stuff. Righteousness is avail available. Why? 
Because God is going to be with the Father. Let's look at Romans chapter 8 if we could. Because I think Paul says some pretty profound things in reference to this portion of Scripture when it comes to righteousness. Why am I hitting this topic? Because most of us don't live in the reality of what Jesus just said there in John uh, 16 verse 10. We don't believe in our fallen, sinful world that righteousness is available. But what I want to convince you of, and what the Holy Spirit wants to convince you of, because you know, again, this is one of His primary roles, one of His functions, one of His job descriptions, is to convince us that righteousness is available. Let's look at Paul in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. We'll read a couple of verses, maybe to 5. And here's Paul. So now, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ. And because you belong to Him, the power of the life-giving Spirit has freed you. What has the power of the life-giving Spirit freed us from? From the power, Paul goes on, of sin that leads to death. You see, the question is here today, friend, is what's leading us? What's leading us? As we go further... In this text of John chapter 16, we'll see that Jesus didn't overload, overwhelm the disciples by giving them the full truth and the full scope of what was about ready to happen to Jesus. For the sake of their own emotional capacity, he leaves the job to the Holy Spirit to lead them. Someone say, lead. No, someone say, lead. Come on, wake up somebody. I'm doing everything you can. You might, might, have, might have noticed as I was worshiping, I was kind of sweating a lot. Yeah, you, you got to know, I put everything into what I do. If I preach, if I sing, and so I'm not mad, I'm just passionate. Here we go, in verse 3, Paul goes on to say, The law of Moses was unable to save because of the wickedness of the sinful nature of man. Now, let's get one thing straight. The law of Moses was not flawed. It was not God did not decide in the new covenant to rewrite things because he thought the first time he did a bad job at it. we got to be convinced of that because there is such a war uh, when, we, when we look at the Mosaic law, the Mosaic law that, Christ, you know, that those things uh, that were written on tablets and given to man, the, the real issue, friend, here today is the law was never flawed. It was never... God never said, man, i got to do it differently. This is just not, this is whack. No, God had a plan uh, from day one. The problem was, is that in our wickedness, we gave in to our sinful nature. Okay. So God did what the law could not do. Hallelujah. Thank you. Someone say, thank you, God. You are a genius. Go ahead, say, God, you are a genius. No, go ahead, go say it. God, you are a genius. He sent His own Son in the body like the bodies we sinners have. Can you imagine that? God sends His Son, which ultimately is God. He sends Him to earth and He gives Him a body. Someone who is divine. Someone who is a God. He gives them a body much like ours. Not much. Like ours. I think it's amazing. And in that body, God declared the end to sin's control over us by 
giving us his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us. Who no longer what? Follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. Come on, how many today are following the Spirit? Come on, can you confidently raise your hand and say, yes, I am following the Spirit. What's leading us, friend? Just ask yourself, seriously, what is at the steering wheel of your life today? Who's in control? The Spirit of God, who's a life-giving Spirit, who leads us, leads us to life? Or is it our sinful nature, our old man still, leading us to death and decay? We're going to learn that it's all about who's leading us today. Verse 5, those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled, I know we don't like that word in America today. Control, what do you mean? Control. I don't know, Paul said it, not me. Don't, don't hate me. I'm just reading. Controlled by the Holy Spirit, think about things that please the Spirit. Verse 6, so letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting your spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. Man, I want some life and peace up in my life. Okay, so... Verse 9, we see that the Holy Spirit's role is to convict the world of sin. And the sin primarily that Jesus is talking about in the Gospel of John, chapter 16, is its refusal to believe in the divinity of Christ. That Christ is the Son of God. Number two, the Holy Spirit will show us. He'll show His followers. He'll show people who believe in Christ. What? That righteousness is available. Come on, somebody. Am I the only one excited about that? Some of you are looking at me like a deer in headlights, really. I mean, righteousness, friend, today righteousness is available. That gives me hope. You know, some of us treat righteousness like it's on the other side of eternity. Yeah, when Christ comes and gets us. No, friend. There's something that the life-giving spirit wants to lead us in. And what he wants to lead us in is the full knowledge Of who God is and what he has available for his people. Now number three is very self-explanatory. Number three is the judgment. Uh, And this is particularly talking about Satan's judgment. His judgment has already from the beginning of the time. His fate is sealed. His his punishment is, is, is already. There's already a stamp of approval. It's going to happen. Hasn't happened yet but it will. And um, essentially... That is what uh, the final thing, the Holy Spirit, according to Jesus, is saying that his primary role, in, role is. Now, I broke these things down to simply three categories. And this is what I like to say. They begin with C. I think they're kind of catchy. You know, you can write them down if you want. But maybe they're not. We'll see. We'll see how it goes over with you guys. But essentially, when I observe verses 9 and 10 of John chapter 16, I see that the Holy Spirit ultimately will come to convict, convince, and confirm Someone say that. The Holy Spirit will come to convict, glory, convince, and confirm these three things of which God lays out in verses 9, 10, and 11. Now, as we move on in verse 11, we see that there's a lot more that Jesus wants to share with his friends, right? He wants to probably unload on them a lot more than what he is right there, but he doesn't. He, he, he holds back and he, 
he obviously sees that his friends are troubled. Uh, and he is concerned about that. Don't you just love that nature about Christ? That he actually can visibly witness the troubled hearts of his friends and just say, okay, you know, um, you know, I'd imagine that John wouldn't even have recorded it if it wasn't important for us to, to kind of grasp the tension here in his friends, that, that John wouldn't record it if he didn't want us to see the tenderness and the kindness of Christ, not to overwhelm or unload everything upon them because of their emotional capacity. I love that. And then he goes on in verse 13. Now we're going to spend a little time here in verses 12 and 13. And forgive me if I uh, come across a little redundant, but I think these points are, are, are important for us to grasp. Uh, in verse uh, 13, Jesus says, let's read it one more time. He says this, When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on His own, but will tell you what He's heard. He will tell you about the future. Now, we can, kindly, we can kind of see that in the way, or in the same way that Jesus related and interfaced with the Father. Remember, Jesus said, listen, I don't say anything on my own behalf. I say what I hear my Father speaking to me to say. And I don't just do things on my own accord. I just don't, you know, let's just do this. This seems good. No, I do the things that my Father tells me to do. And so we see this kind of same interaction, if you would. The same kind of diligence. You know, the same kind of like, no, the Holy Spirit won't speak on His uh, own behalf. His own accord. But He'll simply just translate or give to us what Christ is telling him to give to us. That's remarkable. I mean, you think about the Holy Spirit. Kind of love him. I love the Holy Spirit. And the thought that when the Holy Spirit speaks to us, that they're actually the words of Jesus. That overwhelms me, man. About two of you think that's cool. Okay. So the Spirit will come. And lead us into all truth. I love that John uses the word all truth. None is left out. Not just some truth. Not partial truth. Not murky truth where you can't understand it. But all truth. Complete truth. And notice there's a, somewhat of a name change here. Jesus goes from first calling the Holy Spirit the advocate. Now he calls him the spirit of truth. Sometimes, as Christians, don't we get locked in in a kind of like a one-dimensional type way of thought about just who the Holy Spirit is? Because if you talk to many Christians today, you would, you'd hear that they only think that the job of the Holy Spirit is to comfort. Remember? Jesus said, I will send the comforter. And, and most Christians just relate to the Holy Spirit as comforter. I love, I love, and, and I'm in a season right now where I need the comforter to comfort me. I love that part of the Holy Spirit. I love it. But to lock the Holy Spirit into just a one-dimensional or just like you alone are comforter, that is it. It's dangerous. It's dangerous. The Holy Spirit is many things. He has many functions. And even to lock the Holy Spirit 
into John chapter 16, 9, 10, and 11 is dangerous because all throughout the Scripture, we see Jesus, we see the apostles talk about the Holy Spirit in different ways. We see that the ministry of the Holy Spirit happens in different powerful ways. So the Holy Spirit is many things. Some say, I mean, say with me, the Holy Spirit is many things. But the good thing about it, we don't need to get weirded out about the Holy Spirit. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is simply just, He is testifying. He is testifying about the man Christ Jesus. He says nothing on His own accord. He says nothing in His own thoughts or His own will. He simply just says, Jesus, what are you saying? Jesus tells him, and the Holy Spirit communicates it to us. Jesus is a genius. These guys, man, they're smart people. Again, just to point out in verse 12 and 13, that again, there seems to be something extremely overwhelming about these truths. Whatever Jesus is saying, it seems to really overwhelm his friends. And just again, to just point out the kindness of Christ, he chooses not to overload or overwhelm his friend, but he gives the task to the Holy Spirit, excuse me, to lead them into all truth. I love that. I love that. Some of us think that we need to have it all figured out. That when it just comes to biblical truth, we just have to, we have to, it just all has to be figured out. Friend, we will never figure it out until the perfect one comes to reveal the perfect thing. We'll never figure it out. It doesn't mean we don't pursue. It doesn't mean that we don't seek truth. It doesn't mean that we don't um, eat the scroll, if you would. <laughs> Little IHOP for you. Uh, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not recommending that you eat your Bible. But, you know. We want to get into this thing. We want to know what it says. We want to know how to communicate it. We want to know the truth, right? And so, where was I? Okay, notice the name change. Okay, in the observations of verse 12 again, the name change identifies the person in the ministry and the many different attributes and jobs of the Holy Spirit. Someone say, the Holy Spirit has many jobs. Say it again. You're not convincing me. The Holy Spirit has many jobs. Okay. The who and the what. He is the Spirit of truth who will lead us, guide us, and reveal to us all truth. Never speaking for himself or on his own accord, but only communicating what he hears from Jesus. Again, redundant, I know. Verse 1, the word lead stands out to me here. That Jesus in his kindness chooses to lead us to all truth. If you ever have a doubt, I once had a friend, his name was Jude Fuquay. I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he's kind of a big name. Uh, anyways, uh, I'm gonna throw away, throw around who I know, but uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, anyways, Jude Fuqua, we had a we had a, a a bad spot one time in our lives where uh, me and wasn't my wife at the time, but Bethany and her mom were really in a place of trying to grasp and understand the leadership of the Lord. We were about ready to leave a church that we had been at for years, and surprisingly, we were even there that long, but uh, we had real concerns, because we didn't want to be those people who just left because we were offended. I mean, you just, those people are boring, and they can't see beyond themselves, and we didn't want to be that, those people, so we were just looking for counsel. We were we're just desperate. Lord, what do we do? We know something needs to be done, but we don't want to be rebellious. We don't want to be jaded. We don't want to be offended. We want to leave in good, positive relationship. And Jude Fuquay, as we 
was one of the guys that we reached out to uh, to give us some counsel. He says, remember, Daryl, he said, the devil drives you, but the Lord leads you. You know? And so that spoke a multitude of comfort to our hearts. And just knowing that if we were being driven out, we could know, we could connect to the fact that this is not the Lord. This is not the Lord. And if the Lord was leading us out, then we would know, ah, this is the Lord leading us out. Hallelujah. And you know what? The Lord let us out. He did. We didn't have to go and kind of give our ten reasons why. Uh, Unfortunately, I I, I won't say it's the Lord who did it, but um, Pastor Marlene, she spoke here before. Uh, Her husband had a heart attack, and it was just the right season. We worked everything around this kind of heart attack. I know, it kind of seems weird, right? But it was the leadership of the Lord. Come on, you think some things that the Lord leads you through has to be all fluffy. It's not all fluffy, friends. Sometimes the way the Lord leads you, it gets messy. It gets messy. It's not fluffy. He leads us. Okay. So the Lord leads us. He doesn't drive us. Jesus in his kindness doesn't demand that his friends get over the fact that they can't bear the weight of what they're hearing. Instead, he pauses and reassures them that even though they don't understand what is about ready to happen to their Lord and friend, understand this is about what's about ready to take place. This is a suffering that Jesus is going to go through. They don't understand everything. They're like, you remember Peter, to the, to the last moment when Jesus was getting arrested, he, he still tried to interfere by lopping on the, uh, off the ear of that soldier. And so they're troubled. But he doesn't, he doesn't tell them to get over the fact that they can't bear the weight of what they're hearing. And if you read John chapter 15, you'd find out just the perplexity of what they're going through. Again, instead, he pauses and reassures them that even though they don't understand what is about ready to happen to their Lord and friend, Jesus comforts them by saying he will send the Holy Spirit and lead them, not demand, not require, and not by force, but by leadership. Some of you didn't even hear that. Jesus didn't demand. He he didn't require that they pull it together, suck it up for about five minutes so that he can spill he didn't force them to understand. Even in the, you know, I, I can't relate to this because when I'm pressed in, when I'm feeling pff, something's bad's going to happen and, and life circumstances are getting, I'm like, everybody's got to know that I'm having a bad day. I mean, Jesus had a bad day. He received the cup of which he prayed would pass from him. Having a bad day. Had a bad day again. (laughs) But he chooses to lead them. And he gives the job of leading them to the Holy Spirit. Okay. We're doing good on time. Everybody all right? I want to emphasize this point. I I can't make it any clearer. Just to convince you that Jesus leads us to truth through the work of the Holy Spirit. He leads us. He doesn't drive us. He doesn't demand that we have it all figured out. He's given that job to progressively, if you would, progressively through a a, a structure of leadership. 
There's an order to it. Some of us treat the Holy Spirit as it's just unorderly. It just gets weird sometimes. Let me just say, the, ba- the Holy Spirit gets a bad rap in the church today. It's a bad rap because we got some crazy charismatic out there making some crazy, silly, stupid statements about the Holy Spirit. But we can't discredit. We can't do away with the Holy Spirit. You won't just because of the few that want to discredit the power and the ministry and the person of the Holy Spirit. We're not going to do that here at Hilltop. We understand that we're in a city that, for the most part, the church experience is extremely traditional. Some of these guys won't even allow drums. We are not like that, friend. We are not weird by any stretch of the imagination. But we love the Holy Spirit. We love His leadership. We love the ministry. And while we're here in this city, laboring for the Lord, we will make the Holy Spirit forefront. He will be. So don't let the weirdness of the charismaticville discredit the Holy Spirit. Let's look at Romans 8, chapter 14. You don't have to go turn there with me because it's surely just a little statement. This is what Paul says. For as many are led by the Spirit, present tense, they're being led, these are the sons of God. Let me... I sometimes don't even know if anybody's listening. Because these things, these truths just, they, they, they give me hope. But for as many are being led, present tense, they're being led by the Spirit, these are sons of God. Many people get weirded out by the saying, being led by the Spirit, used frequently in the charismatic church. But people also took And had a serious issue with Jesus saying, I do the things I hear my Father do. It gets us a little out of sorts when we know somebody else is in control. We're scared of that. We want to be in control. Guys, don't doubt me on this. Don't, Don't play with me here. I'm just like you. We get a little scared when there's something more at work, something more driving the car than us. We want to be in control is what I'm saying. Our finances, our friendships. We want to be in control. We've got to be in control. If we're not in control, oh my God, all hell breaks loose. Listen, we're in the stage right now of J-Hop uh, with looking for the leadership of the Lord. And we have a choice to get wiggy and get fearful and overly concerned or trust the Holy Spirit. Man, I don't know about you, but I'd rather trust the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Who's driving your car today? Oh, seriously, I'm not playing games. Who's driving the car? Who's leading you? What's leading you? Guys, God has given us the Holy Spirit to lead us. And you know what? In His leadership, we won't be stressed out. We won't be fearful. We won't be concerned. It's not that we're not aware. It's not that we're not sober. But we are confident in knowing that we are not in control. We are not trying to manipulate life circumstances so that we come on top. We're saying, Holy Spirit, lead us. Lead us. 
good word. It's a good word, Dale. Thank you. I was just talking to myself. I, I want to come down here. I, should, I think Bill Johnson did this one. It's a good word, Daryl. <laughs> Preach. <laughs> Thank you, Crystal. I don't need that affirmation. Just by the way. No, I'm just joking. Okay. Let's pick up in Romans chapter 8, and then we'll close. It's 538. Don't get too panicked. There's no football games on today. I'm sure basketball's over. Let's pick up in verse, uh, verse 7 in Romans chapter 8. Finish what Paul's saying. And again, this is the life, or yeah, the life in the Holy Spirit. Um, life, a life led by the Holy Spirit, if you would. Um, Paul in verse 7 says this, For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's law. It never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. But you are not controlled. I just want to say that to us. Say that to you guys. You are not controlled by your sinful nature. But you are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them, they do not belong to Him at all. And Christ lives within you So even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives life or gives you life. Because you have been right with God, made right with God, the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ from the dead, He will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit. Verse 12, Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation did you catch that word? You have, you, brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. That's awesome. You have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit, but through the power of the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. Verse 15, so you have not received the Spirit that makes you fearful, slaves. Instead, you received God's Spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call on him Abba Father, for his Spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. Somebody just got to love Paul. I mean, that guy's brilliant. He's a genius. My question to us today, Hilltop Church, is who's leading you? Are we convinced that when life circumstances hedge us in and press in on all sides, that we can have the emotional capability to stand strong, trusting that it is true. We can't lead ourselves out of a mess. You can't. It's imp- you, you, you give it up. Stop trying. The Holy Spirit wants to guide you, friend. The Holy Spirit wants to be the compass. The Holy Spirit wants to be at the wheel. Is the Holy Spirit at the wheel today, guys? 
Is he? Are you living in a manner? I don't have to be convinced of this. The all-knowing, all-seeing God is. I'm not trying to make God like, like some kind of angry figure. He's not. He's patient. Obviously, we know that it's even His kindness that He gives us the Holy Spirit to progressively lead us into all truth. We know He's kind. But today, guys, when the doors are closed, when you're around nobody, when nobody's seeing, when nobody's watching, and life's pressing in on all sides, all sides of you, and it's not good, what are your responses? Trust your responses. Trust your responses. Trust those little voices that go off in your head because those are clear indicators of where you are spiritually. I just gave, I, that was better than a Bill Johnson quote. I mean, I, I got some fortune cookies here. I can crack them open, but we can go all day on this thing. But listen, those little voices, those little response, you know how you nip at your wife, you know, you're like having a hard day and she comes and say, honey, and you're like, <laughs> you all know what I'm saying, you married men. No, some of you aren't married. I'm get a circumstance for you. But what are your responses? What are the voices in your head saying? It's a clear indicator of who's at the wheel. It's a clear indicator of who's at the wheel. Let's stand to our feet. You don't have to do emotional music, Will. <laughs> Thank you, man. I'm just going to leave you with this word. We're going to go home. Um, good news, not to break the uh, importance of this word. But, um, well, it's good and bad news. We actually have, um, I made a contact in uh, the, Sher the Marriott uh, in Boston where we're going to be 